Today on Building the Broncos, Carl and Nick discuss what to expect the offense to look like in 2018 under offensive coordinator Bill Musgrave and all the new weapons on the offense. This is Building the Broncos. Welcome to Building the Broncos with your hosts, Nick Kendall and Carl Dummler. Hello there, Broncos country, and it is once again time for another episode of Building the Broncos. I am your host, Carl Dummler, and with me as always, I have my co-host and good friend, Mr. Nick Kendall. Nick, man, how are you doing? I am doing pretty good. It is unbelievably hot here. I feel like the heat index over the weekend was like 105 to 110, but excited for to, to record with you this week. Uh, you listeners, in case you're wondering why the podcast wasn't out last week, we recorded it, but something was wrong on one of our ends recording-wise, and it just the product didn't match the uh, the quality of our content you know so we we decided to nix it didn't really have a time everybody's busy right now so do bringing it again this week to you hopefully with a better audio quality yeah that that was uh that was my bad on my end little internet snafu you know the the joy of technology of two people recording in two different places and trying to get it to work but uh, hey we're, we're trying our hardest here for you guys because we love you we love the broncos and we just love getting the opportunity to talk about them and of course that is what building the broncos is focused on when it becomes when it pertains to the denver broncos and the upcoming season with nick and myself being armchair gms we'll be bringing you fresh insight and analysis each and every week in every single episode from scouting reports player value scheme and personnel fits and of course just some general football related banter you can follow myself on Twitter at Carl Dumbler MHH, as well as follow Nick at Nick Kendall MHH. And be sure to tweet us any questions or opinions you have because we live for talking Bronco football. You can also follow the podcast Twitter account at HuddleUpPod. And you can make sure to check out our ours and our co-writers' written content at milehighhuddle.com, a part of 24-7 Sports and an affiliate of the CBS Sports Digital Network. We know your listeners are as football, draft, and Bronco crazy as we are, so please give us a click and subscribe to us on iTunes as well as Stitcher. And don't forget to share us on Facebook and Twitter. We wouldn't be here today without you listeners, so as a call to action, please go take the time to go to iTunes or Spreaker and rate and subscribe on, and let your voices be heard on how you enjoy our show. Now, before we get into everything for today, we just want to say thank you to our great sponsor, Audible. You can get a free audio book download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. There are over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's www.audibletrial.com backslash huddle up. As I said before, I'm getting ready to go on a big trip. I leave for Haiti tomorrow. By the time you guys are listening to this, I will be in the air or flying somewhere. It seems like uh, we're going to stay the night in Miami, but uh, but I'll, I'll be somewhere. And Audible, going to be a really good friend of mine. I, I plan on having probably three or four books just in, in the ready and and getting excited about learning about some different topics. And, and I'm sure I'll have a football bro, uh, football book somewhere in there. I always do. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. Make sure you check out Audible. All right. Well, let's get to the to the information that you guys really, really want to hear about. And with it being the off season, this is this is the the nuts and bolts. This is what 
Nick and I love doing is, and we do this on an individual level, we do this on a team level, as you guys know, each week we are bringing you guys kind of a preview episode of breaking down what the opposing team likes to do, how our team could attack them. But now we're looking at just the Broncos themselves and just kind of trying to get a view of what is this team going to be for for next season, especially when it comes to the offense. We have a, a pretty good idea what this defense is going to be. Most of the, the personnel, players-wise, coaches-wise, they're, they're pretty well similar. There, there's a few differences. Obviously, Tlaib gone. Insert Cravens. Yeah, Cravens added to the mix. That's going to add a little bit of versatility on some things. Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb. There you go. Yep, there, there's a Those big one. Those are the one. big three, I think. <laughs> Minus the lead, very... plus Cravens, plus Chubb. Yeah. Uh, okay, Big first question. Let, let's just get a little off topic right off the bat here. Which combination would you rather have, or which would you rather have, Tlaib or Cravens and Chubb? All, I, because I'm a roster-building aficionado, I am going to go with the youth. I'll take Cravens and Chubb, especially because they're at a discounted price. But, I mean, if you're talking about in their prime, we already know what Tlaib is. He's borderline slash on his way to being a Hall of Fame player. But he's definitely on that end of his contract or end of his time in the league, at least being super effective. And like we always say on here, Bill Belichick perfected it. You'd rather get rid of a player one year too early than one year too late. And there's been some talk also that Tlaib was a guy that he's great when the going is good. But when the going gets tough, he can be kind of detrimental in the locker room. So there's a reason he's been on, what, four different teams now. Great in Denver, but when it was not going well, he would kind of have some issues with people. I mean, if you remember two years ago, I believe it was him and Russell Okung got into it when Okung tried to step up and get the offense a little bit motivated, and he told him to shut the H up. So (laughs) I love Tlaib, don't get me wrong, but I understand why it was time contractually makes sense you know i needed a little bit more cap room got and i i'm okay with it so i'll take chubb and cravens but i do love to leave i will miss to leave but it's it's a business you know if if my own mother was over that age group which she never will be because she's always under 30 according to her <laughs> um, but if that's how it was i mean it's it's business sorry but that's yep. it's, it's a results business and if you are any bit sentimental then you can get left behind. So, yep, tough, but that's, that's it. It's what makes Bill Belichick so great is he has no emotion, or at least he shows no emotion in letting good players go. I mean, he I can't remember who was the uh, Logan Makins, the, the guard. He had said that guy is the best offensive lineman he had ever had on his team. You know what he did? He traded that guy. Yep. Richard Seymour let Vince Wilfork walk. Got rid yep. of Jamie Collins. I mean, it just... There's no sentimental attachment. Are yep. you doing your job right now? Does it make sense pay-wise? If not, I mean, thank you for your time with the team, but we're going a different direction. Yep, exactly. So anyway, let, let's get back on topic of what we wanted to talk about here today because we, we could talk all day about the defense, and I'm sure at some point we're going to really break break into them as well. But the big question mark for this team is the offense. And there, there's a lot more promise going into this season than seasons past, and for a lot of different reasons. But let's let's look at at who we have and and what maybe the Broncos can do on offense that can really help to bring out the best in every single player on this team, because this this is a very very different team than last year. 
very different on offense. You got more off, you got more weapons. You got Jake Budd at the tight end position. We'll talk about that. We got wide receivers that we've drafted. We have new offensive coordinator in Bill Musgrave. Kubiak is back. Uh, Case Keenum, obviously the biggest thing. C.J. Anderson's gone. And offensive line-wise, there might be, I I guess you could almost call it three new starters with Leary moving over to left guard. Who's ever going to start at right guard? You got Valdir for the right tackle spot. So there's a a lot of change. So what can the Broncos do that really makes this offense click? And, and the first person that we should start with, anytime you are looking at an offense, is look at the offensive coordinator because they, they are the, the, the designer. Everybody else is about putting it into to practice, but the offensive coordinator is the designer. So, Nick, I'm going to let you step in here. Musgrave, what... What kind of influences has he had in the past that we can sit there and look at and say, hey, I think he might bring some of this to the Broncos with what they have on this team? Well, Musgrave has been a solid to mediocre offensive coordinator during his career as an offensive coordinator. And obviously a lot of that has to do with the personnel he has. But he's been known to match whatever offensive scheme, the type of play calling that he does around what the team's strengths are, which is good. I mean, last year, you and I both were excited for McCoy because what he did with Peyton Manning, but he still tried to run that Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, high-level, high-demand-from-the-quarterback type of offense last year with Trevor Simeon, and we found out very quickly that that was not going to work. So Musgrave, he's he's always run a more simplified offense as far as the vocabulary goes, and he cut, tries to cut down that playbook so people are much more comfortable, players are much more comfortable in what they're doing rather than trying to remember, oh, what is this ex- exact play and what is my job on this play? So he simplifies it, cuts it down, and hopefully that makes guys play more comfortably and looser out on the field, which can be a big thing for him. And he's taken a fair amount of influences throughout his career. I personally think his best time, maybe when he had his best quarterback play, but I really like what he did with the Raiders when they had Derek Carr, that really strong power run game with a lot of play action and down the field passing with Crabtree and Cooper. And people don't want to talk about it. I mean, obviously, Bronco fans don't really want to think too highly about what the Raiders have done. I mean, that was a that was a sad season when they absolutely beat the Broncos up. Uh, I believe it was Monday Night Football in Oakland. But that power run game paired with almost MVP-level play from quarterback Derek Carr that season, I mean, if the Broncos get anything like that and pair that with how good their defense can be, at least on paper, especially playing with a little bit more lead this year and a stronger run game, that could be huge for the Broncos, and that could make them legitimate contenders in the AFC this season. Yeah, I look at his time being under Mike Malarkey and just learning what it means to to really rely on the run game. <clears throat> because, I mean, this is this is a passing league. This is spread everybody out and just try to beat them by just finding the weak ma- matchup and, and seeing how that goes. Get the ball out of the quarterback's hands in a hurry. And there, there's just a lot of offensive coordinators that can completely abandon the run game. So having some of that influence in the past, like you said, with the Raiders, where he showed that smash mouth. Mike Malarkey, he, he coined the term exotic smash mouth football when he was there with the Titans. And that's what they really tried to run. And that's what the Raiders were able to, to really run when he was there, having, I think, the sixth best rush attack in the NFL. And so 
the, the Broncos, if they want to have success, like you said, just establishing that run game, establishing the ability to, to be able to do that play action. And we'll get into a little bit more of how good Case Keenum is as a play action quarterback. But uh, the, like you said, there, there's other influences of Chip Kelly bringing kind of some of those spread offensive systems a little bit to the to the picture as well. But also the simplified language. I really do think that's been the biggest thing I've heard a lot of players talk about this offseason. I know that Vance Joseph has kept saying, oh, this offense isn't really that different from last year. And most NFL offenses, they're going to have a lot of similarities, but the language is the biggest part that's going to be different from offense to offense. And with today's college players, I I always have to laugh, but I, I mean, hey, it works with college players of having those posters on the sideline where all they do is look over and they look at a picture and they know what play has been called. Well, if that's what you have coming into the league and a big chunk of your roster is guys that are still on their rookie contract, you know that they're going to struggle if you all of a sudden go from them looking at a picture to, hey, this is a 15 to 20 word uh, play call that you have to have memorized on exactly what you're supposed to do. That's like saying, hey, let's go from kindergarten where we draw pictures to uh, advanced algebra. <laughs> that, that doesn't exactly work very well. And so I do. I like the simplified language that I'm hearing that they're, they're trying to run. But I, I also just wanted to take a little bit of time here with Bill Musgrave and, and talk about his time with the Raiders. Focus on that a little bit more. Because one thing I, when I was watching it, and getting ready for this podcast was I was always impressed by how diversified that offense was where they could run that smash mouth football. They could bring in that extra offensive lineman, what they did against the Broncos. I know we don't really want to bring up bad memories, but that was genius. The Broncos were terrible against the run that year. They were very light up front. You know, you think of guys like Shane Ray trying to start on the edge and he's weighing about 225, 230. And you're running two 330-pound offensive linemen at him. Who do you think is going to win that battle? Not Shane Ray. <laughs> that's that's the, the the best way to put that. So we were pretty small, and they they realized that, and they they designed an offense to beat that. But they also ran RPOs. They ran spread. They played to Carr's strengths of the deep ball and the short game. Uh, you saw last year. This is this was the bit one of the big differences last year with Carr. He had a lot of the same pieces on offense, but they started asking him to attack the the intermediate part of the field because teams were starting to try to key in on his deep ball and his short ball and and try to kind of dare him throw to the middle. And so they started challenging a lot of those intermediate throws and he couldn't do it. He was terrible at it. And so again, Bill Musgrave playing to the strengths of his player, knowing what kind of quarterback he has, knowing what kind of weapons he has. Can they attack deep? Are they more of those short, intermediate kind of guys? Um, knowing his offensive line when they are what three hundred and thirty pound guys, you, you don't run. You don't run a zone scheme with that. You run a power gap scheme, and you just pound it down their throats. <laughs> you just let them run behind those big boys and and uh, pick up three or four yards, and then every once in a while find a crease, and, and boom, you're gone. It's death by a thousand paper cuts, but eventually one of those paper cuts hits an artery, and that's a 40-yard gain. Right, and it's not the most electrifying kind of way to run an offense, but it's it works well, and it helped their defense out. Their defense stayed very rested. They also played with a lead, and so they got to attack in different ways. 
And again, that's something the Broncos, when they had their eight-game losing streak, they were leading for maybe, what, five minutes of that whole eight-game losing streak? It It was was like that. Yeah, it was terrible. And so they just never could establish much of anything. And so these are the things that I'm very excited about with Bill Musgrave and what he brings to the picture. Like you said, he hasn't really had great offenses other than his one with the Raiders. But he's also not exactly had great quarterback play. So it's always kind of hard to tell. Is it is it the offensive coordinator not getting the most out of his offense? Or is it just because we, we saw last year having an incompetent quarterback means your offense does jack squat? Exactly. And Musgrave has had a fair amount of influences throughout his career. I mean, Chip Kelly has been a guy that he's learned from, you know, simplifying the language, making sure teams are quick to the line of scrimmage, you know, different paces, making sure that you can get up there and run when you need to. And that even includes the run game. You know, some people think the spread offense and they think, you know, pass, pass, pass. That's more of the air raid spread. But he, he learned under Chip, who's more of that run game spread. So interesting stuff and simplifies language, makes everybody run a little quicker. Mike Shanahan's been big for him. West Coast systems. So short passing, you know, utilizing one half of the field. Uh, the play action is a big part of it as well. And then we touched on it. Mike Malarkey, he was recently let go by the Titans, but he did okay there. Kind of up and down seasons with the the weapons, and they never really had a great defense to pair with it. But talk about an exotic smash mouth. That was the style of play. So it'll be interesting for sure, and I'm hoping that he kind of more plays towards what that Raiders offense was a couple years ago because a good run game paired with what the Broncos defense looks like could be huge. I mean, last year eight of the top 10 rushing teams in yards per game made the playoffs and most of them had good defenses. The ones that didn't really have great defenses were the teams that did not make the playoffs. I mean, you had Jacksonville in the top 10 that made the playoffs, Philly, New Orleans, Buffalo, Minnesota, Los Angeles, the Rams, uh, Kansas City, and New England. The only two that were in the top 10 in yards per game that didn't make the playoffs was Carolina and Dallas. So it's big for them, and I think compare, or adding a really good run game, power run game, that can open up the plays down the field, You know, make those cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers come up and have to stop the run, shorten the game, just get more physical. Like It's almost establishing a mentality and helping that defense. I think that type of pairing could be huge. And then if you throw in Case Keenum, controlling the game, limiting turnovers, making plays with his legs when he needs to, and that could be huge for the Broncos. So I'm excited. I'm probably maybe it's just me getting better over time, but I was pretty excited for Musgrave last year just because how good he was with Denver and his experience in multiple teams made him, I thought, a better overall offensive coordinator. So I'm a a little bit hesitant coming into it with Musgrave, so we'll see. But I think matching the personnel to what he wants to do and him matching what he wants to do to the personnel will be huge. So I'm... I'm optimistic, especially because I think this power run game with a strong defense, which the Broncos should have, could be huge. And it's not only going to win them some games, but that's the type of mentality, the type of team that plays well on the road and plays well in cold weather games. So that's something that Denver's going to need to do if they're going to compete with the likes of Chargers and Kansas City this year. I don't really think the Raiders are that good, personally. I think Gruden's really screwed the pooch on that. That team is <laughs> confusing as all get out what they've done. But it'll be interesting. I think Musgrave is going to going to have himself some opportunity because at worst I think Case Keenum's a a competent quarterback and that's something Denver hasn't really had for the last gosh two and a half years Peyton Manning there was it's different with Peyton Manning in that Super Bowl run year because it's still Peyton Manning he can it's almost a coach on the field but his play was not great that even the beginning of that season so hopefully we can get some competent quarterback play help that defense out and go win some football games I like the sound of that well that brings me to to my second part of this 
and I wanted to get your opinion on this because I've heard a lot of uh, you and I both listen to a lot of different podcasts about football and other people and just their thoughts on on the game and and I've listened to a lot of Bronco radio guys and Bronco fans bring this up of the the influence of Gary Kubiak being on this team and what his influence is going to be on this offense. So my, my first question then is, how much do you think Gary Kubiak even influences Bill Musgrave or any part of this offense for this upcoming season? I think he does have some influence because Gary Kubiak's the guy who's like to use the tight ends and a little bit more athletic quarterback play. And we are seeing that Keenum's, you know, he's not really billed as this fantastic athlete. He's not really a fantastic athlete, but he's agile and he can make plays with his leg when legs when he needs to. So that's good. And I think that the, the tight end usage should be higher in the Kubiak style, Musgrave style offense. And that's something that Kubiak used a lot of during his time. But I'm hoping, again, I touched on it. I'm hoping that they still stick with the roots of the power run game. That's what the offensive line at least should be trending towards. But you do have some guys that may be a little bit potentially better in his own fit as well. I mean, Garrett Bowles, not the strongest guy, not a drive blocker, but great athlete, can get to the second level, can get out wide very well. And uh, same with Paradis. When you're asked Paradis to drive block some guys, move them off the spot, he struggles. But combo blocking, working laterally in unison with the offensive line, getting to the second level in control, that's where he's very successful in the run game. So I could see a little bit of both for this offense. And I think guys like Leary and McGovern have the ability to play both as well. So it's going to be what works. You know, they're going to hopefully, I still think they're going to work somewhat as far as trending towards that power run game because it's, I think it's more adaptable in today's game. You know, if you have guys winning one-on-one up front, instead of relying on five guys to work in cohesion, it's a little bit easier but it's also harder to build that entire offensive line that way. So give and take in that regard, but it'll be interesting. I'm hoping that they stick true to what the personnel they have on the field and what the vision is of Vance Joseph in this team, rather than having some conflicting style of offense building with Kubiak kind of pulling one way and like Sean Coogler, who's definitely a power blocking guy, you know, pulling another. So there needs to be some consistency and cohesion in regards of team building and coaching and just player personnel. So I'm a little bit wait and see in that regard, but it's the offseason. So I'm optimistic, and Kubiak's known as a great eye for evaluating offensive talent, despite what his, uh, was it the 2015 day two of the draft with uh, Ty Sambrilo and Jeff Hireman? Yikes. So <laughs> so hopefully it'll be a little better than that, but I'll, I'll, be, I'll be optimistic for now because, I mean, Kubiak helping John Elway and everything out in that front office in team building, I don't think can be a bad thing. Right. It's it's nice to have at least another voice in there. A voice that's and, respected. And, right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's somebody that that Elway trusts, that Elway's willing to listen to, and and somebody that's willing to to say when he sees something wrong. That that's another big part. You don't. He's not just another yes man. And and you need that in a front office because otherwise, if you have one voice, it's it usually ends pretty terribly. I I, I was listening to a. Uh, a guy speak about the Seattle Seahawks hiring the guy that used to work for the the Colts. I can't remember what the GM for them. I can't quite remember his name. Grigson. There you go. Anyway, he was saying that Grigson had uh, Von Miller as a second round pick on his board. Wow. And nobody in that room was allowed to really disagree with him. Hmm. And you wonder why the Colts have one of the worst rosters in football beyond Andrew Luck. <laughs> so hey, good luck, Seattle. Glad you hired him. <laughs> but anyway, back to the Broncos themselves. Um, no, I, I think Gary Kubiak, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be a good mentor. 
that's more of what I see his role when it comes to working with the offense of Musgrave having a guy he can go talk to that's been there, that's done all this, has done it well in, in a few different places, and can just offer advice along the way. I don't see Kubiak as being that kind that's going to come down there and say, nope, 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 don't listen to Musgrave. You guys, listen to me. I'm the guy that's that's higher up in the ranking. I'm, I'm the guy that's uh, more well-respected around here. I, I don't see him being that kind of guy. Like So far, what I've seen is more him kind of standing on the sideline, watching practices, taking it all in, taking notes. And I could see him after practice coming to Musgrave and saying, hey, just thought you'd like to, to know these little bit of notes that I found and and uh, you can use them as you will. And that, that's I think that's a good thing because from what I understand last year, part of Vance Joseph's problem was he he didn't have a strong voice with the coordinators. He pretty much said, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. And there were some things that they were doing that he didn't agree with, but he didn't speak up. And part of that was even in the roster building process, there were some players that were slacking off, that were not doing their job, that probably didn't even earn their roster spot, but they were fan favorites of the coordinator. And Vance Joseph kind of kept his mouth shut. So, again, having that other voice and Gary Kubiak to say, hey, this is what I saw at practice, this is what I heard, just thought you'd like to know, I think that can be really good for Vance Joseph and for, for Bill Musgrave as well. Yeah, I agree. Anytime you have cronyism that can be an issue but isn't clint kubiak in the broncos coaching staff now a little bit of instead of cronyism you got nepotism so (laughs) (laughs) i guess i can't talk too much smack because kirk ferentz has his son brian francis the offensive coordinator so for the hawkeyes so yeah we'll see we'll see i mean brian's had done pretty well in his career to date so fingers crossed (laughs) there you go there you go all right, well, let, let's now move, let's transition here a little bit from personnel or coaching staff and GM, whatever you want to call Kubiak, to now the actual players on the field and the ones that are actually going to be doing this. And there's no bigger player added to this team this offseason. I know you could talk about Bradley Chubb and him being that top five pick and, and how big that was, but Case Keenum is a bigger addition than Bradley Chubb. Case Keenum will have a bigger impact on how this season plays out than Bradley Chubb. Yeah, Case Case Keenum's a more immediate impact addition. You know, five years from now, you could argue Chubb, but 2018, 19, 20, if, you, if I'm including 2018 to 19 as one season, it's <laughs> obviously the quarterback. Right, right, exactly. And so this is huge. How he plays, what he brings to the table is going to to matter big time for the Broncos. And so I wanted to kind of talk about just what you've seen from Keenum, what you thought maybe really worked. I mean, we're mostly talking about what happened at the Vikings. The rest of his career has kind of been an up and down battle. You could blame it on coaches. You could blame it on situation. You could blame it on roster. There's a lot of different things. But Case Keenum, for the most part, at best was a below average quarterback before this last season. And, and so when we're looking at what does Case Keenum really feel comfortable doing, we're looking at the Vikings and what they were able to do to design an offense that really fit him well. And, and I think it was a mixture of, of not only finding what Case Keenum did well, but also just the, the personnel that they had on their team, what, what could work with their receivers. And the first thing that I noticed when watching him was he really does like to push the ball down the field. And he really does trust his receivers to go make plays. 
maybe that was just with the Vikings because they had two receivers that were very good at, at winning the, the jump ball battles. But I really do think that's just part of his game is that he says, hey, I got a one-on-one matchup with a five foot ten cornerback and a six foot three wide receiver. I'm going to trust my receiver is going to win that battle. And if he doesn't win it, he's at least going to keep it from being a really, really negative play. And, and so I think that's going to be something the Broncos are really going to do a lot of this year is, is look for those opportunities to push the ball down the field. And, and they haven't done that the last couple of years because Trevor Simeon is not good at the deep ball. He, he is not at all. That is not his game. He doesn't trust his receivers to go up and win those kind of battles. He only likes to he only liked to throw when a receiver was wide open. And I don't know if that was just the coaches just kept emphasizing to him don't turn the ball over and it just scared him to the debt to the point that he wouldn't try those kind of plays. But Case Keenum, he will be that guy that'll push the ball down the field. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. The the biggest thing that I took away from watching Case Keenum's play besides, you know, he does have some big cojones and he moves around very well in the pocket. I I got a lot of takeaways, but I think that honest to God, the best wide receiver duo in the NFL might be Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen. And for an undrafted free agent and a fifth round pick, man, that Vikings GM deserves a heck of a pay pay raise because identifying those guys, developing them and getting them out there. Adam Thielen, phenomenal route runner, good in the air. Stefan Diggs attacks that football. I have no idea how these guys weren't drafted and they're, I mean, they're killing it right now. And Keenum knew that those guys were playmakers. So what does he do? He lets his playmakers go make plays. That's what good quarterbacks do. You know, you don't see Tom Brady out there running around doing stupid stuff. He's running the offense and letting his playmakers do it, making letting Gronk make him look good. And that's what good quarterbacks do. So I'm excited because I think Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas, while they are not Diggs and Thielen, just because, you know, both of those guys are over that 30-year mark on the back end of their career. I think that both of them will see big steps up this year, especially Demarius Thomas, because I think Demarius Thomas, you know, he, despite what his the flack he gets from fans for his drop passes, I think he's a better contested ball catcher. He can go up there and get it, and he's lost some of that deep speed, but his route running is as good as it's ever been. He's, he's becoming more and more of a crafty veteran type, and he can get open in that way, move him around, let him play in slot, let him play isolate him one-on-one so i'm excited for both of these guys and then you add sutton and hamilton and hopefully carlos henderson that's that's exciting but keenum yeah i i like how he plays i don't think he will ever be a true franchise quarterback he's not a guy that you win because but hopefully you won't lose games because of him either he he's a vehicle driver not the vehicle himself so that's that can be good and bad you have to have a good roster around him to have him be effective but I mean, that's there's so many there's only so many true franchise quarterbacks in the NFL at a time. So you got to do what you got to do. And I think that Keenum can be pretty good here. You know, he definitely had an optimal situation in Minnesota because he had great receivers. I think Kyle Rudolph does not get enough credit of really good run blocking tight end. That's also really good in the red zone and is a threat. Not a not a true seam threat. Not a not a freak athlete over the top. But his size and power and ability to go up and get the football at that size while still being a great blocker and everything like that. He's he's a really good underrated tight end. And then the Minnesota offensive coordinator from last year, Pat Shermer, is now the offensive or the head coach of the New York Giants, which was considered the number one most sought after head coaching position in all of football last season. Just the something about the New York media market, I guess, and the Giants, you know, whatever. Who who cares about the New York media <laughs> market? But 
Keenum had a lot going right for him last year, and that doesn't even talk about how great that defense was and just how well effective they ran the ball, even once Dalvin Cook went down. So Keenum's going to have to prove himself this year. There's a reason he's the just the 19th highest paid quarterback, but I think he can be effective. And, you know, if we're going to relate it back to the Broncos, I, I'm hoping for a kind of a Jake Plummer kind of ride here where Jake Plummer, he had some solid years. He never was a true franchise quarterback for the Broncos, but they had some good teams around him. They were competitive, and if you have that perfect roster, the ball bounces the right way, and you can fight off those injuries, you have a chance to compete in the AFC. We'll, we will see. I think the AFC is also much more wide open right now than the NFC, so it makes sense to kind of go for it right now when you got Von Miller and a great defense. But it'll be interesting to see if this second year he can maintain that high level of play or the clock strikes midnight and he turns into a pumpkin. The Broncos did good by protecting themselves if that does happen, you know, the the short-term contract. But I think that he can be solid this year, and with Musgrave simplifying the offense, having a good run game that he can rely off of, you know, the high play-action usage, even if I sent you that. We recorded this podcast last week, and we were talking about how important play-action is. And wasn't it interesting that the data showed that the success of your ground game doesn't influence how successful you are in play-action? It, it seems out of whack that that would be true. But then again, if a quarterback is very good at selling the run, and if a team is committed to showing that they're going to stay running instead of just completely abandoning it, I guess it, it makes sense. But again, it's just a matter of a quarterback and what they feel comfortable with and, and what they can do with those those fakes. And, and, and thankfully, that is one of the big strengths of Case Keenum. He had the second highest percentage of passing plays that came off of play action at 28.7%. So expect a ton of play action. And and the other big thing I think that shows is he does play a lot under center. I, I think that's a, a big advantage, I guess I would say. I, I think playing at a shotgun really hurts your run game because it limits where you can run the football at. Teams kind of have a good idea of where you're trying to go. We're under center. They they don't know exactly where you're going to go. And, and like I said, then it helps set up the play action a lot. But even on, on those kind of plays, he had a quarterback rating of 111.8. And that was fourth best in the league. So uh, that that's the part that I'm, I'm very excited to see, where teams have to, to respect that at any point he's going to you know, pull that ball back and, and, and be a great play action quarterback. But I also think that speaks a little bit to his ability to manipulate the pocket and buy time. For some reason, I have this picture of just the times that I, I watched him and, and here he is running around, stepping up in the pocket, step here, step there. And teams just happen to know that they're going to have to cover a little bit longer with Case Keenum there at quarterback. I was going to say that's, Sorry to cut you off, but like the biggest thing for me, besides the veteran presence that Kingdom's going to bring over Trevor Simeon, is the pocket presence. Because my God, Trevor Simeon's pocket presence and movement were absolutely atrocious. Like I know I was using a little bit of hyperbole when I'd say it, but like I compared Trevor Simeon's pocket awareness to that of Helen Keller. Like it's running into his offensive linemen you know, taking seven step drops and just like literally his footwork's not in sync. It, it was so freaking bad and it wasn't great with Paxton Lynch either, but Pre- Trevor Simeon played a majority of the game. So that's who we're going with here. And right. Case Keenum, his pocket presence, sometimes he can be a little bit too, I don't know what the word is. He's a little bit too ballsy 
where he'll hold on to that ball a little bit too long, you know, trying to make things happen. But he can slip and slide around. He can dip. He can escape the pocket when he needs to. And he just has that that sixth sense as far as pocket presence go that, I mean, you heard Tom Brady talk about it a few years ago. He said that the biggest difference between him and Aaron Rodgers was Rodgers' ability to glide in the pocket, find space, while still being able to throw the football any instant. And he took that from Rodgers' game and tried to apply it to his game. And he's been putting up better statistical seasons recently then even though his arm strength is falling off, he's moving in the pocket better than ever before. And that's something that you need in today's NFL, especially with how the offensive line play and specifically the pass blocking is trending downwards and how great these defensive linemen and edge rushers are in today's NFL. So Case Keenum's pocket presence and ability to manipulate the pocket is going to be huge. And Musgraves has shown that he can build around that as well. Right. And, and really, it's not only just his pocket awareness, but he also has the ability to like you said, he's not the greatest athlete, but he can run. Yeah. Trevor Simeon was not a great athlete at all. I, I only saw a couple carries. I'm like, oh, man, good job there. But beyond that, there there just wasn't much available for him. Paxton Lynch is a lot more athlete, but he also struggled with trying to understand what a defense was doing to him and, and understanding the offense itself. So <laughs> there's all of that. But I, some of the best games that I saw from – from Case Keenum or when he'd have five or more carries in the game. And that's just because the defense all of a sudden has to realize they got to respect that about you. It's third and five and you take off and pick up six yards and slide. That is devastating to a defense. You think, oh man, we had this great coverage and, and maybe they're almost there and he all of a sudden pulls the ball down, takes off up the middle and boom, first down. Well, now you got to have a guy that's trying to spy him a little bit or you have to play a lot more zone because you got to keep players with their eyes looking at the quarterback it just changes how a defense has to play you when you have a quarterback that can actually not only manipulate the pocket but also use his legs to pick up some first downs and so again that's the the really nice thing about the about bringing in case keenum is he just adds some extra dimensions to this offense that we haven't had i'm not trying to say he's gonna all of a sudden make us a, a top five offense or anything like that but like you said at the beginning if we can have a a competent offense Paired with this defense and paired with a, a good special teams unit, the Broncos can go far. They really can. And and so it's not like we need Case Keenum to go out there and be 2013 Peyton Manning for us to go win. We're not going to win games 51 to 48 this year. As, as fun as that was to watch that Cowboys game and watch Peyton Manning actually run in a one-yard touchdown, still one of my favorite memories with him. <laughs> It seemed like the the TV was on slow motion as he's trying to head for the end zone. But, oh, goodness. But anyway, again, if we can have a competent offense paired with the rest of this team, the the Broncos can can make a little bit of noise. And and Keenum can at least be that for the Broncos. And I know he's a hard worker. That's an underrated quality. I mean, we're just talking about things that they can do on the field here when Case Keenum's on there. But I love that he is. He's a guy that's going to put in the work. One of the interesting things that I found out about Keenum was that he loved to use the, the virtual reality technology. And when I was at the Senior Bowl, they, they brought this up that they are with, I think, 30 of the 32 teams. They have a virtual reality machine set up for quarterbacks. And I think I read something. He did 2,600 reps after he was picked up by the, the Vikings. 2,600 reps to learn their offensive system. And this is when he knew he was going to be the backup. 
This is before ever he got on the field and was going to be their their guy for the rest of the season. And so to know that that guy, knowing he's going to be a backup, would put in that kind of work, I'm just excited to know what he's going to do when he knows he's the man. Yeah, hopefully it'll be that much better. And I think this virtual reality training is the last hope for Paxton Lynch. You can just tease him to think like, hey, it's a video game. And he's taking reps in the the coaching-approved virtual reality training session. So, Paxton, if you're listening, go out there. Go play your video games as long as it's that. Heck, I'd like to get I'd like to get myself one. I think that'd be pretty fun. I know, man. That would be that'd be nuts. Yeah, then you could like pause it and like maybe like slow down the the play speed and everything, kind of get those mental reps in. I, I'm I'm really interested to see where this virtual reality training goes, especially with the the effects of concussions in today's game. You can get out there. You can st- obviously it doesn't replace game reps, but still getting out there, getting those mental reps, looking at different angles learning what your teammates are doing, not just you, instead of going on, going through the playbook and drawing plays up. I mean, it's it can change. And with the NFL being a billion-dollar industry and the margin for error so small, the comp- competitive advantage being so small, doing something like this can really change the game. And I think most teams are using virtual reality today. I believe you said that last week when we had our, our lost episode. Yep, 30 of the 32 teams for sure were using this technology. So, Do you have any idea which ones weren't? I don't. I know the Broncos were one of them that were using it. Okay. I'm guessing John Gruden's Raiders. <laughs> Let's bring that offense back to the 90s. Yeah. Somebody get the stone tablet. We're going to bang it out like Flintstones. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know for sure. I'm trying to think of some really old school coaches who would be out there. Watch like Bill Belichick doesn't use it like for some somebody God knows why. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, no, I, I, I think the next step would be uh, Madden football getting a hold of this. Mm. And you, you have the ability to actually play quarterback in virtual reality for as a, as a fan. Man, I'd buy that. I wish Madden didn't have a monopoly on NFL games. I'd like a little bit of competition in that market. Yeah, I know. Because most years it's pretty much the same game coming out, just With different up, rosters. And, yep, updated roster, same gameplay. Yep. So, sorry to complain. <laughs> I know. Sorry, guys. We're, we're Madden guys. We love Madden football. And we were talking about Madden roster ratings earlier today. <laughs> yep. That might be an episode in the future. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, we still have a bit to get to. But before we do, let us tell you about why you need to become a Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber. Mile High Huddle's approach to covering the Broncos isn't just about reporting the news, although we do pride ourselves in being able to relay you all the breaking news that pertains to the Broncos as it's happening. But we like to focus on breaking down the Broncos in-depth from all 22 film reviews, X's and O's, deep dives on player evaluations, and NFL draft, free agency class evaluation, everything. We bring you the best and most in-depth content from for our premium members, the VIP subscribers. To become a Mile High Huddle VIP and get access to 100% of our written analysis and the VIP Insider forums, just click on the green banner at the top of the website. Click the monthly or annual option and you'll be locked in. From there, you get access to everything we produce, which includes any insider information we pick up along the way, which we actually do get a fair amount of that. And we work hard to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the entire internet. We ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber. Pull the trigger and you have my word, you won't be disappointed. All right, well, moving on to probably my favorite part of the entire offense. Quarterback's probably number one, but right after that, it's got to be the hog mollies, the offensive line. And while the Broncos did not use an early draft pick on the unit, which some people are pretty upset about, I'm actually pretty happy they didn't take Quentin Nelson. If you've been following along, you would be surprised by that. 
but I'm surprised, really, really surprised, honestly, that they waited until so late taking an offensive lineman in the draft because Sam Jones, I mean, he's probably not going to be a true player for this team or at least a, a potential viable starter or even close high-end backup for two or three seasons because he has a lot of development to go. They tried, there's rumors that they did try to move up to get Will Hernandez, but the Browns asked for way too much for pick number 33, and the Broncos were very interested in taking James Daniels in the second round, but he went one pick before the Broncos selected. So here we are. They did trade for Jared Veld here, and he should be an improvement at right tackle. Menelik Watson is still here. He's going to compete at tackle and guard. I think he actually might be a better guard in the NFL. Billy Turner has been a guy who's been getting some buzz and OTAs, although you never want to get too overhyped by OTAs. and uh, Especially the offensive line. Yeah, especially the offensive <laughs> line. And uh, Cyrus Kuanjo is another guy who's been filling in for Veld here and has shown some promise. I mean, he was a very high second-round pick, played at Alabama, and had some good reps with the Bills, just was inconsistent and had a weird on off-field incident last offseason where he was found butt-naked in a field high out, high out of his mind on some sort of drug. So that's that's been an issue. He's also had a fair amount of injuries, so <laughs> that is a that is big. But I think the biggest things about this offensive line being improved this year, if it does improve, fingers crossed, will be the growth of guys like Bulls, McGovern, Cohesion, because most of these guys will be playing together for a second year, and the addition of the big daddy himself, Sean Coogler, because he is going to make a, I believe, a big difference in the coaching of the interior offensive line. I haven't been this excited about a Broncos offensive line coach in a long time. What do you think of them having two offensive line coaches? Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for them? I think it's a good thing as long as there is a chain of command. As long as they're not kind of stepping over each other if there's an obvious person who's in charge between the two or if they both answer to somebody directly above them that kind of will have final say. But with the interior offensive line play having such different technique than the tackle play and prepping for different kinds of players as well, I don't mind the division of tasks because it's a specialized skill set. You know, you're not having a center play tackle. The footwork's different. The the hand placement is different. You know, how you're going to be attacking, setting the edge, everything like that is slightly different. So dividing that task up isn't a problem to me. And I I like it that they're going to focus on it. More one-on-one time with coaches and players, I think, can't be a bad thing because you're going to get more personal evaluation training and hopefully improve because of that. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it has the potential to be really good, but it also has the potential to be really bad. Like I said, if you have two coaches who pretty much view themselves being in charge of everything and and they start getting into arguments of, of what they should be doing and and uh, and I could see a little bit of just because you have the two groups separated that you lose a little bit of that unity of a unit where your guards aren't able to communicate as well with your, your tackles because they just don't have those reps together. Uh, but again, when this is second year of a lot of these guys being together, I, I think you're going to have better communication just overall between the unit. Yeah, I agree. And hopefully, you know, last year, all of training camp OTAs, we didn't have the center, Matt Paradis, playing. So him being between hopefully who will be the two starters in Leary and whoever's playing right guard, that's still going to be an open competition. Hopefully it'll be better communication there. And we're not going to be flipping around Ronald Leary and Max Garcia or whatever. So hopefully having 
bulls next to a guy like Lirio Hope. And again, Menelik Watson, guy who's what was it going to be his fifth year in the league, but he's had so many injuries, missed reps, had injuries again last year. So he really doesn't have that playing experience of a veteran. Felt here, though, he does. He knows what he's doing out there. His play has diminished over the past few seasons, but he's still, I think he's still at least an average tackle in this league. And that's that's a big step up from what the Broncos have had at right tackle over the past few seasons. Right. That's so. that's what I keep telling people is even if guys like Case Keenum or Vildier play at just league average, those are some of the biggest upgrades in the entire NFL. Yeah. It just was that bad at quarterback and right tackle for the Broncos last year. Two so, years. Yeah, the last two years, really. So, yeah, that, that's that's going to be very big. And it sounds like both Leary and Veldier are going to both be ready for training camp. So that's really good to hear. I'd be a lot more worried if they weren't ready day one of, of training camp, that something more is going on than what they were hoping for. But just sounds like they've been mostly just thinking, hey, you guys are veterans. We don't need to push you right now. Just let you get healed up another month. No big deal. So hopefully – Get all five guys on the field, get them working together. Good things happen for the Broncos. Yeah, and and I think that the biggest thing for me is what type of blocking system are they going to run? Because we still don't know exactly the Musgrave. It's supposed to be the power gaps game, but some of these guys, I mean, is Paradis, is that his best fit? Probably not. I think McGovern's probably a better true power gap center. Not, 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 Not overall better, but I think he has better potential. Paradis is a much better pass blocker right now and obviously has had much more high high level tape out there but bulls same thing i mean veld here is he going to be a power blocker on that right tackle he's not a true hog molly out there so it'll be interesting but the biggest thing i think obviously the run blocking will be huge but as long as they can give case keenum some pocket some resemblance of a pocket then i think they they should be fine so they just got to protect that quarterback because the pass blocking over the last few seasons has not been great people try to diminish what the offensive line did last year in the run game they were good run blockers but that pass blocking just has really been holding them back right uh dvoa if if you know what that is they had the broncos as the ninth best run blocking unit in the nfl and i think i've said this before uh one of the the great stats that i heard about our offensive line was that we were 12th last year in yards before contact so that that's as that means before the the running back actually gets touched this is how far the offensive line is helping them to get before they have to make somebody miss and 12th in the nfl that's that's not bad considering how bad our offense was last year i mean people were pretty much daring our quarterbacks to throw they were loading up boxes saying hey we're gonna stop cj anderson we're gonna stop Devontae booker we're gonna make you have to beat us with through the air and the broncos couldn't do it obviously (laughs) but they still had even with people loading up the boxes they still had a decent running game it wasn't outstanding by any means but it was it was decent and you get a little bit of a passing game going that is a threat all of a sudden they have to back off they can't have those loaded boxes well watch the run game take off even more yeah i'm in total agreement with you so hopefully the additions of the coaches and just the cohesion and natural growth of some of the younger guys in the offensive line will prove a big boost because I am getting tired of poor offensive line play. It's it's time to turn it around and make that a strength again. So if if they struggle again this year, you know, you're gonna be hearing me call for some offensive line early in the draft next year when we start to transition to the twenty nineteen season. Right now I'm on the defensive line train because the defensive line looks amazing next year, the class does, but there's some good offensive tackles as well. 
So I was going to we'll say, see. looking at that that group, there, there's some high potential for that to be one of the better offensive tackle groups in a while. Yeah, I really like the guy from Wisconsin in David Edwards, who plays right tackle for Wisconsin now, but he was actually a, a quarterback in high school. He's a six foot eight, like two hundred and fifty pound quarterback, and they're like, you know oh, what, you're you're going to play offensive line, and he's like, okay. <laughs> And now he's up to like 325, and he he is really good. He's playing right tackle, so that means I feel like less people are aware of him, but they should be aware because he is really good. I don't think he's a top 10 player. You know, he's not Jonah Williams level, but right. I think I think he's going to be a good tackle. And I'm expecting the Broncos hopefully to be picking, you know, 15 to 32 next year instead of top 10. Right, exactly. All right, well, focusing on just our, our team for this upcoming year, of course, you can't not talk about the weapons that are going to be available for this Broncos team. And last year, honestly, I know they had DT, they had Sanders, but I would say the Broncos had some of the worst weapons in football. I mean, beyond them, they had CJ Anderson, who's he's good, but he's not great. He's replaceable. Devontae Booker, nothing to write home about. Tight end. Oh, my goodness might have been one of the worst tight if not the worst tight end groups in football last year and horrible yeah third wide receiver again horrible broncos when they went to three wide sets were one of the worst teams in all of football that just that that screams at me like this team just didn't have the weapons that teams were afraid of they they couldn't attack the middle of the field so all defenses had to do was protect the sidelines and you could beat this team I mean, that, that's that's simple. I, I remember that Bills game where they pretty much said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to cover everything short. We're going to stop the run game. We're going to dare you to beat us deep or over the middle. And it was not pretty. And after that game, pretty much every team was like, yep, that's what we're going to do. And it started a very bad streak for the Broncos. So this year, has it gotten better? I think you can't say it definitively, but I think you really can say it pretty definitively that this is a better weapons unit than we had last year. I think you look at, at Sutton added to this team in the second round. You look at Deshaun Hamilton added. You look at tight end. Jake Budd is finally healthy. I mean, you don't know what he's going to be, of course. But <laughs> it, it's at least he's there. He's, he's got some potential. And I, I just think that so far there, there's a lot more hope in today's unit at the the weapons area than there was last year for sure i think there's more depth for sure especially looking at wide receiver much higher chance that somebody's going to step out just because you have five guys that i think could you know stand out and same thing with tight end but you didn't talk so much about running back but cj anderson he was a known commodity and now you're going with d'angelo henderson royce freeman and Devontae booker Sure, there's potential, but that's, I mean, that's a much higher variance from the floor to the ceiling. So that's the question mark. And then tight end, I mean, what do we know? Jeff Hireman's a guy who's really done jack squat over the last three seasons. I mean, he might not even make this team. Troy Fumagalli, I mean, what's he going to do? Is this, He's a fifth-round pick. I wouldn't expect too much this season. Jake Budd essentially coming in off a rookie season, and he, he missed all of last year. So there's going to be a little bit of time between him getting up to speed. And then Austin Trailer, who I do like a lot, but I think he's more of a tight end two slash three where he can be versatile and play that fullback role if need to be halfback, tight end, et cetera, et cetera. So very, very low floor for a tight end as well. So we, we will see. I think there's there's definitely potential, 
but you know me being a scientist i am a skeptic i'm not as much a, a man of faith as you are carl kind of a little <laughs> bit <laughs> opposite there you know a little bit of a dichotomy in that yep. regard but i i'm waiting to see but the potential is there i'm just hoping that the tight ends can step up because how much musgrave likes to use the tight ends Keenum likes to use that middle of the field and the offensive line i think will be better so the running backs just need to step up i'm hearing freeman's doing pretty well that's exciting booker's right now the starter and henderson can make some splash plays so there's a lot of young talent a lot of cheap talent as well but there's so much variance from where they could be to or what their high end is to where their low end is it could be really bad or it could end up being above league average so so right now, probably average to below average would be my guess overall. I'm excited about the wide receiver group, not as much about tight ends and running backs, but overall I think it's going to be hopefully about league average overall as far as the weapons go with an improved offensive line and most importantly, better play calling and better better quarterback play. And hopefully that will muster an overall average offense and you pair that with a top five defense, this team could go places. You know, you got to be top five somewhere and at least average on the other side, I think, if you want to be a, a true contender. Unless you can be top ten on both sides of the ball, but that's that's pretty hard to do. I don't see many teams in the entire NFL that can boast that. Maybe the Chargers this year, the Eagles. I don't see that with Pittsburgh. Don't see that with New England. Maybe the Rams. Minnesota. Minnesota Rams. Yeah, so I think Broncos, if you can have that dominant defense and an average offense that's protecting the football, and we haven't even talked about it today, but better special teams play. Gosh, we say that every single week, not only every year, but every week mm-hmm. <laughs> that that could make this team a contender. And, you know, everybody gets upset. You know, Sports Illustrated predicting the Broncos to go four and 12 or something like that. You know, <laughs> nobody really knows right now. Like at this point right. last year, people were saying that the Giants were legit Super Bowl contenders and they finished Ouch. with the second overall pick. Yep. So <laughs> we yeah, will see. That's- that, that is. That's the hard part about the NFL is you have so many young players that are asked to step up that it leads to a lot of variance in, in what you can actually expect from a team because you're you're really projecting a lot more than you have in the past. You, you have your known commodities. Like we know DT, Sanders, they're probably going to be pretty close to 1,000-yard receivers. That, that's, that's a pretty good estimate. I mean, that, that just that's what they've been. Even last year with a very bad offense – DT was right there at the 1,000-yard mark. Sanders wasn't too far behind. So good chance that that's about where they're going to be. Uh, beyond them, it's hard to know what the rest of the offense is going to be. Keenum, if he goes back to what he was before, yeah, all of a sudden you go from high hopes for this team of being a playoff contender to, hey, we got another top five pick. But if he performs and you have Jake Butt, become a legit weapon you find that third wide receiver or Royce Freeman or Devontae Booker really step up and become a great running back for this team again all of a sudden you're you're right there in the playoff consideration and and you said it the AFC is it's not great Steelers are are pretty pretty legit Patriots of course especially being in the AFC East which looks not great Jacksonville I don't know if I can really name any other teams that are you, you just know that there's a very good chance that they're going to be there. I mean, we keep talking about the Chargers being a, a really good roster, but they've had great rosters in the past and been very bad. So <laughs> how are they so injured every year? I don't know. Something that they're doing. The training staff has to, I would just fire the entire training staff if I were them. Is it because there's nice weather and clubs? 
all about Los Angeles and San Diego and those guys aren't staying home as much and getting the rest. I don't know. I'm totally just speculating, but there's got to be something. Yeah, there's something going on there. Uh, Again, if I'm the Chargers, I'm starting to fire some different groups. uh, And I'd start with the training staff because I do think that plays a big part in in how bad or good a team does injury-wise. But you just can't year after year be one of the worst injured teams and not think that there's something that we're doing wrong for sure. But again, the, the, the AFC is just wide open. There's a lot of opportunities for a lot of teams to, to really make that jump. And the Broncos, a couple things go their way, especially on the offense, and boom, they're right back in this conversation. And like you said, it, especially if they can develop that run game and play to the strength of this team. And that, that's kind of our last point here that we wanted to talk about was just the, the build of the overall team. And just you got to know what you have. And, and for the Broncos, of course, that is a very strong defense. They are still a very strong defense. They're not the 2015 defense, but they, I think, can be a top five unit for sure. And then they brought in Marquette King, one of the, the I say, underrated signings of this offseason, just because last year was so bad at punting. It's so inconsistent, I guess is maybe the better way to put it. But Marquette King, you go from a guy that was – one week looked okay, but the next week you had 30-yard punts and put your defense in a very bad spot to Marquette King, who's a very good uh, high ball kicker. He's got a very big leg, but he also knows how to not out-punt his unit. He knows how to pin teams really deep, and I can't wait to see him in the Denver uh, altitude. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I don't think it'd be out of question to say that he could break the record for longest punt average in NFL history. Hopefully he doesn't because when we are punting, we're not punting from our own or the, the other team's red zone. That's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. But anyway. <laughs> Most punts in the 20. Right. So yeah. anyway, you look at the, the build of this team. You play to the strength of the defense. You pick up a couple first downs, ten, pin a team deep, let your defense make them have to go the entire length of the field, eat up clock, keep games close, and and have a few plays go your way, and you got a, quite a few wins that you didn't have last year. That's uh, the great thing. You can have some aggression with your offense. You can have a few deep plays throughout the game, but you stick to a strong run game. That was the strength of the offensive line last year. It was the strength of the offense last year. And again, when Case Keenum, one of his best assets is his ability to play action with this team with in football, man, you just use that. And you're probably not going to have a whole lot of come-from-behind wins. You're not going to have a lot of these fourth-quarter magic kind of plays, even though he had, of course, the uh, the Minnesota miracle last year. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, that, that, was, that was nuts. I can't believe that. That but wasn't voted the best game last year. It wasn't? I think the Super Bowl was. That was also a pretty oh, good game. Yeah, that was a pretty good game. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> that, that has to be a close second for sure. Just with how that one finished, that that was nuts. But again, you're just working to play with the lead. Let your defense go and eat, especially your your top playmakers. You got Bradley Chubb, you got Von Miller coming off the edges. You let Chris Harris, Bradley Roby, and and you just let those guys go be your playmakers. Justin and Simmons. Yeah, Justin Simmons. I you keep talking. He's probably going to be one of those really sneaky guys that just shows he's one of the best players on this team. And so, I don't know. There, there's there's a lot of hope, 
but there's a lot of unknown for sure when you're looking at this offense. And it's why the Broncos are one of those teams. I, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of um, power rankings have the Broncos in the bottom 10. But it also wouldn't shock me by the end of the season if they're a top 10 team. Yep. It, a lot just, of variance. There really is. It, they are one of the, probably going to be one of the tougher teams to predict. Just because they, especially they made that change at quarterback. If Case Keenum, again, if he plays at that level he played for the Vikings, they, they could easily be a top 10 team. Yep. If he can't reach that level, they could be a bottom 10 team. There, there's just yep. not, not as much middle ground here with this team. It's really good or really bad. <laughs> yep. Coaching staff is still a huge unknown, and the quarterback is a huge unknown with a lot of turnover on the roster and the defense that many people think is fading. So that's, that's where we're at, and that can be changed very quickly. I mean, who saw the Eagles coming last year? Who saw the Rams coming last year? You know, we had a feeling the Jags were coming on, but didn't think it would be that quickly. The, the Jags kind of are building. I, I talked a high game about the the Titans off exotic smash mouth in the past, and that's kind of what I wanted for the offense. But the Jags are going which the direction that I want. They're building a really strong run-blocking offensive line that's adequate at the pass-blocking. And the smash mouth run game, some playmakers on the outside, and then just a dominant defense. you got to stay true to yourself. This is building up to be a smash mouth team in Denver then you're not only looking to punch people in the mouth on defense, you're looking to do it on offense too. You're shortening the games and you are making sure that that team, win or lose, the team that you're going against is going to have to ice up at the end because they're going to have to battle for 60 minutes and they're going to be sore after the game. And I love it. That's how football is supposed to be. I think a good run game, obviously it's a passing league more and more, but if you're going to play within yourself and how this roster is built right now, it's got to be a smash mouth team. Run game's got to have to be the breath the soul of this offense and it should feed the special teams it should feed the defense so i'm optimistic but it really depends on two guys we talked about most today musgrave and keenum can they prove to be viable options at their positions where they're at for the broncos that remains to be seen we will know very soon but those are the biggest two and hopefully with an improved offensive line to boot this is at least an average offense, and with a great defense, this team can be a problem against any team any Sunday. I like the sound of that. All right, well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Building the Broncos. You can find Carl on Twitter, at MHH and myself, at MHH. Also, make sure you head over to Mile High Huddle, a new affiliate of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports Digital, to find ours and our co-writers' articles, not just related to the draft, but all things that pertain to your Denver Broncos. Head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a comment. Your support can help us to continue to bring you our Denver Bronco deep dives. We aren't just here to bring you the news, but an in-depth analysis each and every week. You can follow Building the Broncos podcast and all of our great audio content by subscribing to us. At, ooh. You can follow the Bronco. Wow. You can follow Building the Broncos and all of our great audio content by subscribing to Huddle Up Podcast on iTunes and for Android users Stitcher, as well as check us out on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at Malahi Huddle and at Huddle Up Pod. Again, please be sure to subscribe and rate us and reach out to us as we love interacting with fellow Bronco fans. For Carl Dunmar, I'm Nick Kendall wrapping up another episode of Building the Broncos. We hope you enjoyed it and we will see you next week. Go Broncos! Mile High Huddle!